Well, we are in a brand new series, as you saw, called Reclaiming Lent. Now, this word Lent uh, is probably going to bring up some emotions in some of you. Maybe you remind, remind yourself of some experiences that you've had. Maybe there's probably a group of you here that have experienced Lent growing up in your faith tradition and maybe even turned off by it in some points. Maybe there's others of you that are going, what's Lent? I don't even know what that means. And maybe there's a group of you going, why are we doing Lent as a church this year? And so these are all great questions that I will answer in today's sermon. But before uh, we dive into what this time of Lent means, for our church, I think we need to back up for a moment and really talk about what this concept of just time and the structure of time that we have actually means. Like if I were to ask you this morning, what time is it? Some of you can look at your phones or your watches and say, well, it's right now, it's exactly 10 a.m., right? But if you didn't have a watch, if you didn't have a phone, you might say, well, it's that time of the day where it's morning time. Some of you, if you were to gauge your energy level this morning and you ask your body what time it is, your body might say, it's time for another cup of coffee. Some of you might say, well, it's time for the Super Bowl, so you need to wrap up your message so we can get home and do our thing. Others of you might say, it's that time of the year. Valentine's Day is coming up, so that means that you're going to get some flowers and some chocolates and go out to eat, whatever it may be. If you ask my kids what time it is, they'll tell you that it's snack time. All the time is snack time. So there's not one universal way to communicate what time really is. And I would say that there are a lot of things in our lives that tell us what time it is. So when we understand what time really is, one of my professors at Fuller Seminary, David Taylor, he summarizes it beautifully. And he says this, there is never mere time, but only framed time. There's never mere time, but only framed time. Here's what that's saying. Our understanding of time is never neutral, but it's always biased. It's always biased. And this is important because if our understanding of time is never neutral and it's always biased, then we've got to understand as a community of faith and as people of God what we've given our time to. Now, when you think about time, there's a structure that all of us will follow from this day forward to the day that you die. There are seconds, there are minutes, there are hours, there are days and weeks and months and years. And we follow this structure of time for the rest of our lives. But how do we get here with that structure? Who started it? Do we follow it as Christians? What does that mean? What if God was calling us to another sense of time, sacred time? What does all of this mean? So I want us to back up a little bit, and let's talk about, um, we're going to look at a little bit of history, and then we'll get into why we're doing Lent and what Lent means for our church this year, because I think that this is going to be a season where we enter into a time of drawing closer to God together as a community of faith. But there was a point in history where clocks didn't exist. Time didn't exist. Phones didn't exist. I know smartphones didn't exist. Some of you, it's shocking to you. But in the 14th century, you found the first public clock that was put in place in Italy. In the 18th century, you fast forward, post offices told you what time it was. And then later in the 18th century, it was the railroads that would tell you what time it was. And then later in the 18th century, you saw for the first time watches that people would wear that would tell you what time it was. Well, what did people do before Centuries and thousands and thousands of years ago, time for them was following the seasons of nature and the traditions of their culture and the rhythms of day-to-day life. So what that means is the time that we know now to be time has been framed for us. In other words, we've inherited our understanding of time. Let's talk about days for a second. There was a period in time where days looked very different. So today, most of us, all of you here are off, and most of us are off on Sundays. Well, that started in the third century. Constantine, he mandated 
that everyone takes Sunday off as the official day off because Constantine would make the Roman Empire a Christian empire. But then what happened was the Jewish people, they observed Saturday as a day off. So what happened is a combination of Saturday being off and Sunday being off formed what we know now as our weekends. And we follow that structured, that structure, that time that has been framed for us that we have inherited. The weekdays that you follow, if you don't know, have been named after, uh, have been formed and shaped for you by Hellenistic astrology. Sunday, the day of the sun, where we honor the sun. Monday, moon's day. That's where Monday comes from. Tuesday is Mars day. That's why in Spanish it's Marta. Sorry that my Spanish uh, accent is not there. Wednesday, Mercury's day. Thursday, Jupiter's day, or the Greek god of Thor, Thor's day. Friday, about Venus, Saturday, you may guess it, Saturn's day. We've all inherited framed time, structures of time that we live in now that has been framed for us. Think about your calendars. There was a time where there were no calendars in existence. In fact, the first calendar was put into place by Emperor Julius Caesar in 45 B.C., And Caesar implemented what was known as the Julian calendar, which would follow the solar cycles. And so he said, the calendar year would start in January and end in December, and there would be three-year cycles, and then the fourth year would be a leap year. But you and I, we don't follow the Julian calendar. We follow the Gregorian calendar, because in the 15th century, Pope Gregory said that we're going to make some modifications to the Julian calendar. We're going to get rid of the leap year. And now you and I, we follow the Gregorian calendar. There are other calendars, like during the French Revolution, The French had their own calendar. If you're Jewish, there's a Hebrew calendar. In other words, the calendar that you and I follow has been framed for us. We've inherited it. There is never mere time, but framed time, which means that the time that we have now has been given to us by what's around us. And the calendars around us are not just dates and numbers, but they inform us of a story that we are a part of a narrative that we now live in. They show us where we move, what we put our energy towards, what our habits are, where we begin, where we end. And let me make it very practical. I've given you a quick synopsis on, uh, on how we got here when it comes to our sense of time that we have. But let's just make it very practical. Some of you follow a sports calendar. Your favorite team has a preseason and a start to their season and a postseason and there's training camps. And you follow those calendars. Why? Because you are faithful to those sports teams. In fact, the NFL has a calendar, and they have marked one day every year to be the most important day in all of sports, Super Bowl Sunday. And so that means on Super Bowl Sunday, last year there were 100 million Americans that because the NFL put a date on the calendar, they paused that day, canceled all their plans, gathered around a TV to to watch some people throw a ball around. Last year, the average American would also spend $80 on Super Bowl Sunday. Why? Which meant that $80 per person meant that today, us as Americans, we will spend over $20 billion. Why? Because the NFL decided that today was a day that we would pause and do that. There is never mere time, but framed time that you and I have inherited. Well, maybe you say, Alan, I don't watch sports. I'm not really into football. Or you say, I don't watch the Super Bowl if the Cowboys aren't in it, which means you haven't been watching it for 27 years. But the <laughs> if you're a parent, schools have their own calendars. 
School districts have their own calendars, right? And so that determines when you take your vacations. My wife and I are thinking about taking a vacation in March, and then we're, we realize it's spring break, and the kids might be off, and then what do we do? The school calendar determines what we do many times as parents, when you need to hire a sitter, what you need to do with your kids in the summer. There's never mere time, but frame time. The government, by the way, has their own calendar. In fact, we're in the middle of an important season in the government's calendar. The IRS has a calendar that tells you that you should pay attention to. You should actually follow January 29th to mid-April. You have to file your taxes. So you know what that means. Because that calendar has been set for you and framed for you, no matter how busy you are, how sick you are, how crazy your work schedule is, all of us are going to pause within that time period to file our taxes. Why? There's never mere time but framed time. I want to keep pressing on this because I think this is going to help us understand why Lent matters and why we're entering into a season of six weeks where we draw closer to Jesus. I think we really need to understand why God might be calling us to sacred time. But before we do that, we've got to understand that we've given ourselves to frame time, to a structure that we've inherited, that we follow. Think about holidays. Holidays originated as religious days off, holy days, days that were set apart. Think about all the holidays or holy days that we have in our culture. New Year's Day, Valentine's Day, Easter, Mother's Day, Memorial Day, Father's Day, July 4th, Labor Day, Veterans Day, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas. You might say, what's the, what's the big deal with all these holy days or holidays that we have? Well, if you think about all these holy days or holidays, days that we are supposed to be set apart as a nation, think about what all of these days point us towards. It's a lot of consumption. These days have been set for us by the market, and we have inherited it, and we follow it. So yes, this week, because the calendar tells you so, most of you will go out and buy chocolates and flowers and make some dinner reservations, and that's okay, but you've inherited that. For Easter, you'll buy some new dresses and some new clothes, and you'll make lunch reservations. For Mother's Day, you'll buy more gifts. For Father's Day, you'll go to Home Depot for the first time and buy some gifts for your dad's. For the 4th of July, you're going to buy lots of hot dogs and burgers and fireworks here in Texas. For Halloween, you'll buy candy and costumes. Thanksgiving, you'll spend a lot of money on feasting. Christmas, we'll spend even more. In fact, two months ago, Christmas of 2023, us as Americans, we spent $966 billion together. Why? Because the calendar tells us this is the time for us to do that. There's never mere time. Don't get it twisted. Just frame time that you and I have inherited that we have given ourselves to. So if you really think about it, time as we know it causes us to behave a certain way. Time as we've inherited causes us to be a certain type of human being. It determines where we move, where we spend our money, where we put our energy towards, what our habits are. And as we kick off the series called Reclaiming Lent, I want us to understand this, that time is a gift that has been given to us from God. It's a gift that we've received from God, and we need to reclaim that gift of time that God has given us. You need to reclaim the gift of time that God has given you as an individual and you as families. And that doesn't mean that we don't watch the Super Bowl or celebrate Valentine's Day and cancel your reservations for Wednesday. There's something beautiful about embedding ourselves within the culture and the country that we live in. And, but as Christians, don't ever forget that we are pilgrims on a journey and we have not landed in our final destination. So that means our priority, our allegiance, is to another kingdom, an upside-down kingdom, a countercultural way of living. And God's 
perspective on time is totally, totally different. Second Peter 3.8, here's what he says. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. In other words, God operates on a totally different concept of time, an alternate reality. I'm not going to dive into the context of 2 Peter, but what he's basically saying in that passage is God doesn't delay and God doesn't rush. Why? Those things don't mean anything to him. There is no delay. There is no rush. God operates on his own timing, and God's timing is always found, and this is really important. God's timing, if you want to know what it is, is always found within the context of a story or a narrative. That's how time works for God. It's a story or a narrative. The story begins in the garden. And it ends with a banquet where all of us gather and live forever with Jesus and everything will be okay. But right now, you and I are right smack in the middle of that story that God is writing. You and I find ourselves in the middle of that story. But far too often, we lean into the narrative of culture and the time that has been framed for us and the structures that we've inherited and not into the story of God, the narrative of God that is going on without us realizing it has been going on for centuries and thousands and thousands of years. Every single one of us can name exactly what we do on every holiday. Every one of us live our lives as a response to the sports calendar, school calendars, work calendars. Our lives often do reflect the story of culture, but what would it look like for our lives to reflect the story of God and the life of Christ? Now, for centuries... Christians have become countercultural and rejected the narrative of culture by adopting and incorporating into their own lives the church calendar. That's right, the church has its own calendar. And it's not just a calendar for specific churches, it's for Christians, capital C Christians. There is a church calendar that informs us of God's narrative and God's story. Now, I'm not going to go into the church calendar in detail, but the church calendar uh, uh, lines up with the typical calendar that we have. But the church calendar, more importantly, is cyclical. There are three cycles found within the church calendar, and here's what they are. I'll go through these real quickly. The cycle of light is the first cycle of the church calendar. It begins late November, early December, which is Advent leading up to Christmas. And then there's Epiphany, New Year, where we remember who Jesus was. And then we enter into the cycle of life, which is Lent which takes us through Easter and after Easter with Easter tide, And then in May, Pentecost, which takes us into ordinary time. And this takes us throughout the Gregorian calendar that we follow. But we embed ourselves within the story of Jesus by following the church calendar. Now let me pause for a second because this might be a lot for some of you to take in right now. But let me tell you this. No matter what your experiences are with the church calendar or what your church background is, all of you, whether you realize it or not, have always followed the church calendar. Why? Advent, Christmas, and Easter originated from the church calendar. And now they're found in mainstream culture, but we celebrate these times every single year. In fact, we've done it as a church for many, many years. So Christmas comes around, and we remember we did a series on Advent where we anticipate the coming of Jesus, and remember that he once came as a baby in a manger. And we create these spaces where we pause and we remember that this baby came in a manger. And it wasn't just any baby, it was God with us, Emmanuel. And he would give himself up for us as a gift so that you and I would have newness of life. Christmas, Advent is about us pausing to remember that. 
And every time Easter comes around, we remember the resurrected Savior and what his resurrection means for us, that you and I have newness of life, how he raises us from the dead and gives us new life, new creations, new beginnings. But these are just pieces of a beautiful picture that shows us the narrative and story of God. None of us would just be content with doing a few pieces of a puzzle. None of us would be content with just the first course or the second course. We are people that want the complete picture and the whole package. Yet our approach to the story of God many times is that we just pause and remember when it comes to Christmas and Easter. In fact, it's why many people just come to church for Christmas and Easter. And here's why the church calendar is important. I didn't grow up in a church uh, culture and tradition, by the way, where we use a church calendar. This was very foreign to me. Once I realized the beauty of the church calendar, here's what I realized. It teaches us that there are seasons that don't just point to the marketplace, but there are seasons in our day-to-day life and rhythms and calendars that we've already inherited with spiritual meaning. There are seasons that allow us to live out the life that Jesus has for us and the story of Christ. We talked earlier about holidays how they point us to the marketplace, but they also imply certain meanings, right? Like if you think about New Year's Day, what is it telling you? There's new beginnings and New Year's resolutions. Valentine's Day might frame your understanding of love. Memorial Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day might allow you to uh, show you a meaning, a meanings behind remembering and honoring. Fourth of July might be about celebrating. Well, the church calendar has ideas about all of these things, yet it embeds it within the life of Jesus. And that's why it's important for us to not treat it casually, but to come alongside the story of God. The church calendar allows us to live lives that are not culture-centered, but Christ-centered. It points us back to Jesus and allows us to pause. So you and I, as Christians, as followers of God, we are supposed to embrace this gift of time that God has given us And that gift of time is supposed to be embodied by Jesus. And the church calendar is one small way that we can do that. And that's why this month we are entering as a church into a six-week period. The cycle of life, it's what Lent is all about. And Lent kicks off universally across the world this coming Wednesday. And it will take us within the context of Outer West on a six-week journey. And when we talk about Lent and what time it is, here's simply what Lent means. Lent is a time for repentance and renewal. Lent is a a time for repentance and renewal. So we've come to that time of the year, and we'll get into some of the other times of the year and the cycles of the church calendar, but right now, what we're calling ourselves to is to pause so that we can repent and allow God to renew us. And here's what this simply means. All of us, we can all acknowledge that we've fall short at times, that there's sin in our lives at times. We may have good days and we'll have some bad days because of our sinful nature. It doesn't mean that we give ourselves to sin, but we're flawed and as a result, we sin and we feel the weight of our sin. Lent is a time where we turn from our sins and turn to God so that he can do something about them. That's the beauty of it. Last week I talked about the fear of God, which means that we don't treat this walk with Jesus casually. We don't allow grace to be a permission to sin. Well, Lent, as we enter into the season, allows us to look within and say there are some areas of our lives that are deeply flawed that we need to turn so that God can bring restoration and renewal. So for the next six weeks, I'm inviting all of us as a church community to look within 
the areas of our lives to examine, to invite God to shape us in those areas. So practically speaking, here's what this means. And Ben, you guys can come on up. Here's what this means for us practically. Uh, we have a resource page on our website, outerwest.org Lent. And there is a lot of resources there for you to follow. Um, we have a Spotify playlist. We have readings. We have poems. We have a Bible reading plan. But every week on that page, there is a communal prompt that we're calling all of us to follow. And these are maybe easy, digestible prompts for you to follow as families or individuals. And here's what we're calling us to do for the next six weeks. To give something up or to take something up. We're calling all of us to give something up or to take something up. Well, why does this matter? Well, the Bible talks about this idea of fasting or giving up something so that we can draw closer to Jesus. And so for some of you, you might follow these communal prompts, but for all of us, there are individual areas of our lives that God is calling us to just simply let go of. And that's what Lent invites us to. No matter what your opinion on it is or what your background is or your church experience is, at the end of the day, we are entering into a season of figuring out what areas in our lives hold us from God that we need to release to Him. That's what this next six weeks is about, and it will lead us to celebrating Easter. And that's where we'll end Lent. I've heard it said this way, that Lent is a fast in preparation for a feast. And so it's leading us to a great celebration that we'll have on Easter. But here's what a fast is, very practically speaking. A fast is a voluntary denial of something in your life for a specific period of time for the purpose of drawing closer to Jesus. We say it again, the fast is a voluntary denial of something specific in your life for a specific period of time for the purpose of drawing closer to Jesus. That's what it is. It's restricting areas of your life that are so crowded, so busy, so formed by the frame time and structures and calendars that we inhabit to release those things. Fasting will reveal to you what your attachments in life are. It'll reveal to you the things that hold you back from God, the areas of your life where you prioritize culture, where you prioritize the material world over the spiritual world. So for some of you, let me give you some practical ways and things to fast from. Maybe you just fast from eating dessert. They say, well, that's easy. Well, others of you, it might be hard. Maybe it's from buying coffee. Maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's TV, maybe it's books, maybe it's processed foods, maybe it's just spending money, maybe it's social media. Whatever it is, there's so many different things for us to let go of in this season. What are the things that have your attention and your devotion? Is it the six hours on average on your phone every day? What are the things that God is calling you to remove from your life so that you can press in to what he has for you? You can see what your excessive attachments are, what the distractions are in life that are keeping you from what God has for you. And here's why we call the series Reclaiming Lent. And this is an important piece. For many years, Lent has been used in this kind of legalistic way where you give something up so that God will give you something in return. That's not what this is about. This is not about putting on a show or earning God's favor. It's not what this is about. 
What you do and do not do for the next six weeks does not impede on God's love for you. But what you do and do not do for the next six weeks might speak to your love for God because that is showing God what are the things in your life you are willing to let go of so that you can get closer to Him. That's all it is. We're removing things from our lives, framed time that we have, the structures that we have, the busyness that we have, the technology, whatever it is. We're removing all of that so that we can be intimate with Jesus. That's what we're calling our church to the next six weeks, to remove distractions and to give up attachments so that we can know God more intimately. So this morning, I don't know what that means for you, but for some of you, I've heard some people say, I'm looking for my purpose and my call in life. Well, the best place to start is to slow down. That's the best place to start. Just slow down. What is God up to? What have I occupied myself with that does not allow me to slow down? Some of us are just too busy. Maybe that's what you fast from. Some of us think because of frame time, because of school calendars and sports calendars and all the other calendars out there, what we've inherited, some of you have been trained to believe that you have to do those things. That you have to have your kids in three different sports. You don't. That you have to go to the gym seven days a week. You don't. There's nothing wrong with it, but we've just filled our schedules with so many things that there's not any room for God's love. There's not any room to slow down and to pause. So for Christians for centuries, for thousands of years have said, this is the time of the year where we as followers of God reject the narrative of culture and enter into the story of Christ by denying ourselves and giving up some things. For some of you, your faith has always been kind of mechanical. You come to church and you do the right things, but you've never really experienced it. One of the ways that you can experience and live out this intimacy with Jesus is by beginning to let go so that he can become more intimate with you. Some of us need to take up this challenge because this challenge is going to show you what the things in your life are that control you. I grew up in a church where we talked about fasting all the time, and it's always easy. Like when you hear a message like this, say, well, you know what? You fast the easiest things, right? I'm going to fast from reading books. Well, you don't read books anyway. What this points you to is what are the areas of your life that actually control you? If God would come here and ask you this direct question, what is the one thing that I would ask you to let go of that you cannot let go of? That is probably the thing that you need to fast. What is the one thing that you've kind of kept on the side? Well, God doesn't care about that. It's all good. What is the one thing that you would just have a hard time ever giving up? Maybe that's where you start because fasting, this season of repentance and renewal shows us what actually controls us. Over the next six weeks, we just want to come back to God. That's all this is about. So today, go and do the Super Bowl thing, and this week, Valentine's Day, all the things we want to embed ourselves within our culture. But do not neglect 
Christians that we are pilgrims on a journey and our allegiance is to Jesus and he calls us to pause throughout the year so that we can draw closer to him. To be so stripped away from all the other things that distract us and say, Jesus, here I am. There's so many things I could do or sign up for or give myself up to. I'm just going to sit with you. I'm just going to sit with you. It's an opportunity for God to examine our hearts. And you know why this is so hard? Like, I'll give you an example for me personally. Sometimes it's, it's ministry or working at a church. Like, if I could take two months off, i say, well, no, I can't take two months off. There's things to do, and I'm not advocating the board and elders I need to take two months off. But there are things in our lives that we just make excuses for. Like, no, we just have to do these things. No, you don't. You just need to be with Jesus. That's what we're entering into. And we're going to do this together, and we want to come alongside of you and equip you and help resource you and come alongside of you. We have a fasting guide on that Lent page. But this is simply an invitation for us to examine what are the things that hold us back from Jesus that in this next six weeks we need to give up to him. Let me pray for us as we close. And we're going to sing a song where we just reflect and sit at the feet of Jesus together this morning. God, we thank you that there are so many things that pull us to the left and to the right. We thank you that for centuries, your followers, Christians, have just used this simple tool to say we're going to reject the framed time, the time that we've inherited, the structures that we've inherited, and we're just going to give ourselves to this Nazarene, this man who lived 2,000 years ago, died and gave himself up for me. And he didn't just live 2,000 years ago, he is alive and living today and wants a deep and intimate relationship with me. We wanna give ourselves to you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you examine our hearts? What are the things that we refuse to give up? What are the things that have held us back for so long? Maybe it's just schedules, but maybe it's something specific. This morning, I just wanna invite you to open your hands as a posture of just inviting God to speak to you. Say, God, I am open with my life. Help me to come back to you. Help me to come back to what it's all about. Would you sit in that posture this morning as we sing? We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in and through our lives. Amen.